and welcome to the Aussie Pastor Live, right here on Faith FM. G'day, g'day, g'day. My name is Lloyd Grolleman, the Aussie Pastor. Welcome to our program today, coming to you live from our studios in northwest Sydney. Hunty, how you doing? G'day, mate. G'day, listeners. It's great to be here as always. Now, I'm, I'm a bit jet lagged. Yeah, you, you did a really <laughs> rushed trip. I mean, literally I a weekend trip to Florida. I is did, that correct? To my son's wedding in Tampa, Florida. How you are holding up? <laughs> <laughs> I've been in better shape, but I'm excited to be here. You reckon it's like. How many hours? 20, 30 hours? It's 20 hours in the plane each way, plus all the airport time and commute time and so all the So from the time it. you left Sydney to the time you got to the wedding oh, venue? 30 or 40 hours. No way. Yeah, because I left really, really early because my brother and I went together with our families and our kids and our kids' kids. So we wanted to be, for a five o'clock flight, we wanted to be at the airport at 10 a.m. <laughs> so, five o'clock in the afternoon? So we left, we actually ended up leaving our place at 10 a.m. And For then five I, o'clock in the yes, afternoon? Yes, because both of us don't want to ever be caught out. Um, five, okay, let me just get that right. 10 o'clock. We left Northwestern Sydney. For a five Sydney. o'clock flight. That's so you're right. there at 11, 30, 12, 1. Five, six hours early. That's right. Love it. I have nothing to say. <laughs> <laughs> was it a good wedding? Oh, look, the wedding was fantastic. I was just so excited when the... The, the MC or the guy got up and he, he said, look, before we even start, let's pray. And got us all together and we prayed. I'm looking at you. I'm thinking you must have flown at least economy plus. <laughs> no, cattle class, poverty pack. Did you have your wife sitting next to you? I did. So you lounged and flowed over into her seat. I flowed a little bit over into both seats. <laughs> oh, mate, I would not be happy sitting next my to you. My knees are still sore. My back's twisted. Oh, I'm a wreck. I'm a wreck. Well, welcome home anyway. Thanks, We're glad mate. you made it. So good to be back. Um this day in history, 27 February 2024, it's the 58th day of the year. Mm. Only 300 days remain. Yep. 308 days remain. And what happened on this day, 27 February? Well, in 1557, the first Russian embassy went to Britain. Mm-hmm. I wonder how that worked out. I wonder. <laughs> yeah. 1692, first ever woman's magazine published called, do you know what it's called? Uh, woman's Day? No. <laughs> New idea? No idea? <laughs> Ladies Mercury. Oh, cool. 1814, Ludwig Beethoven's Symphony 8th in F major premieres in Vienna. I thought when I was looking this up, I thought, that sounds familiar, so I went and listened to it. Guess what? What is it? Didn't know it. Oh. Well, I don't think you would either. Uh, 1820, first Mardi Gras celebration in New Orleans. They don't have Mardi Gras in New Orleans anymore, oh. but back in 1827 they did. Cool. This is where New, uh, Mardi Gras started. They initially were a celebration. Uh, a party celebration, music, etc. I think they've morphed and changed a bit through the years. Um, 1879, Russian chemist Konstant Falberg discovers saccharin. It's a big one for you, mate. mate Artificial sweet. I don't touch the stuff if I can help it. <laughs> oh, look. Is it better than real sugar? I don't know. I don't know. Probably not, I don't reckon. <laughs> 1900, the British Labor Party was formed today. Uh, so they're, pro- what are they, 124 years old? Uh, interesting, the British Labor Party, Labor is spelled L-A-B-O-U-R over there. And when you look at the Australian Labor Party, it's spelled L-A-B-O-R. And I don't yeah. know why that uh, is. And maybe one of our listeners U. could tell us. Maybe they don't work. Don't, who? <laughs> the Australians <laughs> the or the British? The Australian Labor Party. <laughs> well, they're working all right at the moment because they're, they're in government federally in just about every other state except, I think, for Tassie. So they're doing all right in Australia. Um, are they? Yeah, they are. Well, if you if you count being if you in, count the highest electricity prices and the highest rental prices in the world, well, I think it's fair to say that started long before <laughs> Labor went in. Um, 
1937, Bradman scored 169, oh, nice. ensuring Australia won the Ashes 3-2. So we love you, Don uh, Bradman. I like that. 1951, Second Amendment, limiting presidents to the, the, of the USA to two terms. I good. didn't realise that happened until 1951. Yeah, good. I thought it had always been. Whereas a president can only serve two like four-year terms. So you can only have Biden for one more, That's or it. some would say Trump, thank goodness, thank uh, <laughs> goodness for only one more. <laughs> one more, yep. What can he do in the next four years? Oh, man, don't I want to think. Uh, 1977, ABBA arrives in Australia for the first I time. I was hoping you'd get that today, mm. almost 50 years ago. ABBA mania. 150,000 went to their concerts. You know how many went to Taylor Swift? How many? 600,000. So 150,000 to ABBA. Mate, you compare the size of the population. 600,000 to Taylor Swift. Guess how many went to Billy Graham back in the 70s? Oh, how many? A third of the nation. Nice. Do you know how many that was? Well, we were about, what, seven, eight million? Three million. Yeah. <laughs> Three million. million went to Billy Graham, made Taylor Swift and ABBA look like a little walk in the park, little concert in the park. There you go. 1991, George Bush declared victory for Kuwait, and we know how that went. Mm. 1998, I thought you'd be interested in this. Apple continue, discontinues production of the Newton computer. I know nothing about that. I had a Newton. Were they good computers? No. But, that, but that, of their day, they were great. Well, they, they discontinued in mm, 1998. Uh, mm. You think that might have been... It, a was, it was the precursor to the iPad, that or was a, mini iPad. You're saying that was a pretty good decision? Yes. <laughs> oh, okay. And 2012, WikiLeaks began to leak. Yes. Uh, this is a very sad situation, that. Julian Assange. You yeah. think he should be let go and I do. allowed to come home? I do. Well, I, I don't want to take the opposite because I kind of agree with you, but when he leaked all that class, top security stuff all yep. over the world, yep. there were men and women in nations that are authoritarian that disappeared. Same thing when uh, George Bush's wife did, did their big email leak as oh, well. Oh, I know nothing about George Bush's wife. Are you yeah. sure about that? Not George Bush. Um, Clinton, Hillary Clinton, she let all those emails out. Same thing happened. Covert operatives around okay. the world disappeared. I don't think she did. We're gonna, we can have Ooh. an argument about that. She, <laughs> she did not as far as I know, release any emails out anywhere. I think what happened was she was using a personal server to do government business, and that's the problem. But I don't, I've never heard, are you saying it did? Because I've never heard of her emails leaking. Look, what's true? What's, what's fact? How do you get hold of facts these days, honestly? Pretty hard when it you're is talking hard. to Hunty. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so th that's the only thing. I, I like press freedom. I think, think yeah. our governments should be. Uh, culpable and responsible and transparent somewhat with what they do. But it does worry me that with this leak of Julia Assange that... No, I don't like cooperatives, co-op, hidden spies. I don't like the fact that they disappeared slash died. Yeah, no, it's a bit of a worry, isn't it? Mm. Anyway, that one's way out of our league. Sure. And, and powers to be more powerful than us will do that. The weird and wacky, what about this? In 2018, Barbara Streisand admitted that she had cloned a dog twice. Huh. Hmm. That's weird. Weird indeed. I, I have a dog that passed away. Lucky. I would have liked to have cloned her. Hmm. Um, some births, famous ones. 272 Constantine, 272 AD, Constantine the Great. Mm -hmm. He's a guy actually who brought Sunday into the Christian church. That's another story, but interesting. 1957, Robert D. Costello was born. I remember watching him in 1982 and I was a young fellow win the Commonwealth mm. Games Marathon Very in exciting. Brisbane. Very exciting stuff. Me too. So, uh, Robert D. Costello, if you're a listener, happy birthday, yep. mate. Yep. He'll be, so how old would he be today? 57. <laughs> old. He's <laughs> older than me. I think it's 65 or 6 years of age. Uh, deaths. I thought this was interesting. 1892, Louis Vuitton. Hmm. Died. 
born in 1821. He died in 71, which back in, in 1892 was a good age. Louis Vuitton, I actually helped fit out a Louis Vuitton shop on the Gold Coast nice. when I was a young fella. Very good. Mm. I thought he was just about travel bags back then, apparently a lot more. Mm. 2015, I thought I'd put this one in. This guy was 83 when he died. Born in, born in 1915. Uh, died in 2015, sorry. 83, Leonard Nimoy. Leonard Nimoy. Oh, Star Trek. Spock from Star Trek. Mm. Is it true? Is, was it him that got his remains blasted into space? <gasps> Don't know. Mm, I think it might have been. In 2018, this is a sad one for me, he's 59, Steve Folks. He was a Canterbury Bulldogs coach and a pretty good rugby league player. He passed away too, so um, sympathies to his family. And Independence Day, I've never been here, but I reckon you have, the Dominican oh. Republic. Over in the West Indies. Yeah. Didn't you go over there with I have, I have. John Carter? Yep, good times. Uh, happy Dominican Republic, if that's where you go. Word, word of the day. Oh, here we go, what is it? I love the word of the day. This mm. is actually a good one. Um, and I never knew it. Sometimes I do know these words of the day, but I never knew this one. Caterwall, spelt C-A-T-E-R-W-A-U-L. You know it, do you? I can take a guess at it. Yeah, okay. Screaming and yelling out loud. Not bad. To make a loud and unpleasant sound. <laughs> How did you know that? Uh, I've heard it before. I'd never heard that word before. Hey. Caterwall, there you go. I told yeah. you, Hunty is a very no, educated man. That's what I tell everyone. Yeah, we have an educated <laughs> man. Actually, one thing I do know about, I'm a bit this way myself, we're both wordsmiths. I do love words. Yeah, we do. Mm. Mm. Um, using it in a sentence, the woods were quiet until the sound of chainsaw caterwauling yes. in the distance broke the calm. Or that, this one. That works. They continued to caterwaul about having to take the blame. Okay. Making a loud and unpleasant noise. And, mm. and in a sentence where we all understand it, Andrew Hunt continues to caterwaul about his Jeep breaking down so regularly. I don't, because it doesn't. <laughs> but thank you for that little piece of fiction. I'll say it again. Andrew Hunt continues to caterwaul about his Jeep breaking down so often. I, think, I, thought that I think the last few cars that have been repaired have been yours. I thought that was a great sentence, actually. I enjoyed it. I, think, I, enjoyed I think your tractor's broken down more than anything we I collectively own. I enjoyed putting that sentence together. Okay, let's, let's do it for Lloyd. Lloyd definitely caterwauls about his tractor <laughs> his zero that turn breaks down all the time. Why does my tractor, my zero mower, give me so much trouble? Because it's been underwater and under mud a couple of times. <sighs> Once. But when they went under, they sure went under in that sure uh, awful flood mm. a year or two back. And to be honest, we've had troubles with that ever since. Everything that went underwater has been giving us grief. <laughs> it, it has been. The fire pump, the generator, the mower, the tractor. It has Anything been. that survives the boat. <laughs> yeah, and that floated. Because <laughs> it floated. Yeah, we had the boat on the trailer when the water went in. And it lifted the trailer up with it. Yeah, but it floated, didn't That's it? That's right. I think a tiny little bit of water went in the motor, but we started the motor instantly. We did, it was good. Yeah, it never had any problems. Mm -hmm. Hey, um, for the health tip today, I found this. I want to play it, Hunty. Ooh. I don't know whether you're ready to go. I am now. I thought it was really <laughs> good. Sue, what do you think of this? Ooh, uh, I hello? Hit it. I hit it. I hit it again. These are three things that you do every single day that are literally destroying your brain. One, going on your phone in the morning. This is because our subconscious brain is in a much more programmable state upon waking and our brain waves switch states. Two, eating junk food. Eating junk food shrinks the brain's learning capabilities and reduces neuroplasticity, which means it makes it harder for neurons to work optimally. And three, not spending time outdoors. Being in nature lowers our stress hormone cortisol, which which is the stress hormone. Mm, very good. Do you remember the three points? Uh, I've chosen to remember only two of them. What were the ones you remember? I'm remembering 
about my brain in the morning and not going straight to my computer or phone. Do, do you go to your brain in the morning? Do you go straight to your phone? Yeah, because that's where I do my worship, on my computer. So you go straight to your phone when you wake up? No, my computer. I wake up and that's where I do my worship, on my laptop. Okay, yeah. Mm. And I get outside in the fresh air a bit more. Okay. But well, I refuse to memorise the second one. Do you remember what it was? Sure, but I've already forgotten it. <laughs> <laughs> Shall we play it again for our listeners? No. Just in case no, they miss it? No. Can we play it again? Of course. Play it again. <laughs> okay, well, hang on. Okay. Uh, reset and play again. These are three things that you do every single day that are literally destroying your brain. One, going on your phone in the morning. This is because our subconscious brain is in a much more programmable state upon waking and our brain waves switch states. Two, eating junk food. Eating junk food shrinks the brain's learning capabilities okay. and reduces <laughs> okay, neuroplasticity, which All means right. it makes... Stop. What, what was number two? I've forgotten already. There's a reason that I got us... <laughs> To play it again, <laughs> eating junk food. I knew it. I was going to say that's all. I know you knew it. <laughs> it's interesting, though, isn't it, how we've got to look after our brain and these little things, little things can make yeah. a difference. Very important. Yeah, they can. Yeah. They can really make a difference. Yeah. Hey, there's this series as we're getting into our program today called The Chosen. Um, it's a video series. It's out. If you go to YouTube, you'll pick up some of the uh, programs, uh, the episodes that have been put out. Um I have some real questions on The Chosen. It's it's a video series about Jesus, and my questions, and the reason I'm a little bit cautious with it is because it doesn't accurately portray the biblical story. Does that make sense, Hunter? I hear you. Now, there's a lot of fans out there who love The Chosen, and they, they do not like me saying that. But I thought just to be positive that I'd share something with you that I did like from The Chosen, and this is Jesus preaching the greatest sermon, just a little section, 30 seconds, of the greatest sermon ever, ever put together and preached by Jesus. Listen to this. Therefore, do not be anxious, saying, What shall we eat? What shall we drink? Or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek all these things, and your heavenly Father knows you need them all. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. If you wanted to listen to that sermon, or if you wanted to read it, do you know where you go, Hunty? No. Matthew chapter, has it a guest? Uh, five. F- okay, five. Yeah, Matthew chapter five. It's going to say four. <laughs> yeah, people argue, and I think it's a good argument. It's the most powerful sermon ever preached. And in that sermon, Jesus turns upside down the culture of his day and the culture of our day. And it does not run. It does not run comfortably with the way we think, the way we act, or, the, or what we do. But it's a sermon worth reading. Matthew chapter five. You're listening to The Aussie Pastor, here on Faith FM. We put this song on for you, Lizzie. That's my wife. She found this song and she loves it. It's from Philippa Hannah, an up-and-comer in the United States. Beautiful song, You're Still God. When all foundations have been shaken When I'm left standing in the Questions hit so hard 
Song and the girl is a really beautiful singer. Can you uh, 
go up again on the program so I can just see who she is again. Well, I, I certainly can. I've <laughs> snookered it from you, haven't I? Yeah, you have. I can't. Okay, I've, Philippa Hanna. Yeah, I've never heard of her until this girl. Have you? No, new one to me. Yeah, I think she's pretty new. Um, on the gospel music scene, but really, really nice. Okay, we're going to have a look at the news and what things are hanging around. And there's so many things, I guess most of them negative in the news at the moment, but I want to have a look at some positive and negative things. The first one, this Woolworths acts as Norco Milk, honey. Uh, honey, hunty, hunty. I'll never call you honey, <laughs> ever, hunty. Um, the, the, this is a big deal because guess who owns sure Norco? Is. Australian farmers. Okay. And there's only one other company that's owned the restaurant the owned by Canadians and New Zealanders, which and we don't mind. But there is a lot of fuss uh-huh. about dropping an Australian company. Yep, where the profits stay in Australia and help the whole of our economy to sending profits overseas. Now apparently they haven't dropped Norco from all the stores, especially the big stores. Mostly they've dropped Norco milk from you know those little suburban yeah metros metros they had. Mm. Yeah, but it'll be a big dent to their profit margin. Norco. Yeah, Woolworths and Coles have come under a fair bit of pressure lately from the Australian public and the Australian government who's got a number of inquiries going into them over pricing, supposed price gouging. I'm certainly not saying they do. Oh, I would. I would happily say that. I'd be very careful saying that. Aren't <laughs> okay, fine. <laughs> yeah, no, I wouldn't go down that road uh, because we don't know. Bottom line, but they did make one point something billion dollars, which is a lot of money, and it is getting increasingly difficult to walk out of shopping under two or three hundred dollars. Mm. Most families would be spending four or five hundred dollars, I reckon. On they rewarded the Woolly CEO with twenty five million dollar goodbye kiss. Okay. And Norco last year only made sixteen million. Okay. So, I mean, where's, well, the, where's the equality in this? The argument for rewarding these guys the big money is they know how to lead companies and direct companies into making the big money, and so they'll say it's worth it. I don't – it's not for me, really, to say on but that. But should every Australian family have to pay twice as much for their food so that these big companies can make big profits? Well, Woolworths would argue, and so do Coles, and I've looked at this, that they don't actually make big profits – it compared to the investment they put into their um, companies, into their, in, 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 into um, their uh, shops, it makes me sad. And Lord. so they're saying they're sad. saying that the profits that they make on things aren't that great. Only oh, but there's enough to give their CEO one, a twenty-five million dollar goodbye kiss. One and one, one to one. Well, if if your CEO you're paying him twenty-five million and he's leading the company to making one point five billion a year, that's probably in their strictly commercial terms a pretty good deal. Um, CEOs do have a fair bit to say about where a company goes and the success of a company. And so if you have that ability, they'll argue, I'm not saying it's right or wrong, but they will argue that therefore we can compensate them pretty good. And, and you know, there is an argument to that, Hunty. I've gone quiet because this makes me sad. Yeah. All right. Hmm. Move on to the next okay, one. Okay, thank you. The EV market is not collapsing. Oh, now you fired me up again. <laughs> doesn't take much to fire you up. I actually put these in to fire you oh, up. Oh, did you? That's hilarious. <laughs> Not so much the Norco one, because I actually I'm a bit sad that an Australian milk company is being dropped by an Australian yeah. food company. Yeah. Oh, yeah, I'm a bit sad. Yeah. And I'm, I'm from Australian farming stock. <sighs> Woolworths, you probably can do better. <laughs> but it's not really for me to say. Well, we're all still smarting over the Australia Day merchandise debacle. Oh, I'm not smarting over that at oh, all. Oh, I am. It doesn't bother me in the least. <laughs> Back to the EV question. Um, there's a lot of talk about the EV market collapsing. 
I know. All, I hear it all, 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 all the time. All the EV cars. All the naysayers say it's done. It's over. It's crashing. I'm kind of one of the naysayers. I'm not an EV uh, fan. Oh, I, let, I, let me at this. I, I, am, <laughs> I am a fan of their performance. I think it's fantastic. What I'm not a fan of is the way the government is pushing us into EVs by putting up the price of Ford Rangers and Toyota Hiluxes. And Did you know they've just put the Ford Everest, the four-wheel drive version of the Ranger, the sedan version, the four-wheel drive, they've just put that in the same category as the 1.3-litre Corolla and expected to make the same emissions. Too bad if you're a tradie towing a trailer to yeah, a no, job or a like boat it. or a caravan. Don't like it at all. Shame on the Labor Party. And the Land Cruiser is now going to cost $25,000 more each year each uh, to, to buy, thanks to this new... Well, they're saying that the Ford Ranger is going to be another fourteen dollars to $20,000 a year. I don't like it. Don't, I don't like, like it. it. Don't Not like happy. it. I'm all for EVs, really. I am. Because they are quick. I, 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 I haven't driven one yet, but I'd like to. Did you know... Um, but I'm worried, Hunty. Let's hear you did, you know, then I'll oh, do okay. I'm worried. Uh, look, Tesla last year sold 1.3 million Teslas. It's the highest selling car on the planet. So don't tell me that EV sales are waning because last year Tesla beat even out the Chinese. Well, they are waning. And the reason you can say they're waning is if you go and have a look at the prices of uh, EVs, they're dropping right across the United States of America and Australia, even dropping in Australia. And the reason they're dropping is because they can't move them. The reason they can't move them, according to this article, is there just are not enough power outlets to power them up. And so when you're going somewhere, there's two problems. One, you get there and the power outlets aren't working, apparently. Mm-hmm. The second one is when you get there, there's a huge line. You wait for three, four, six, sometimes ten hours to get the power. Mm. And the other one, there is another issue, Hunty. In the US, and I think it's in Australia too, Tesla has one sort of power outlet and the others have another. So in the United States, they're making them. All the car companies have got together and they've made a decision between each other. It's not being made that they're going to have the same power outlet. That's a good start, Hunty. Did you know, did you know that... Both Holden and GM in America ridiculed Elon Musk and Tesla, ridiculed. They've had to come on bended knee and say, can we please get a copyright for your power plug so our cars can use your charge stations? Which he said, yep, go your hardest. I don't think it's that that, um, Tesla are any better that their power outlet's any better. I think it's he just has the, the fact that they've already got so many That's of them. right. But Ford and Holden had to go cap in hand and say, can we put your plug on our cars, please? But they're saying in the United States they've got like thirty or 40,000 of them, then 150,000 the next couple of years, even for it to be equitable and workable. Like, if you're just using an electric car to drive to work and back, you can charge it at home in your People own garage. Are. Ford has stopped making the four-wheel drive... F-150 electric because they just can't sell them. The reason they can't sell them is for two reasons. One, you can't power them. And two, if you put a load in them or a trailer on them, you go from three or 400 miles to 50 to 80 miles. 150, yeah, it cuts it in half. Cut, right, no more. Right, right down. The more you load it, the more you lose. Yes. And so there are issues with the electric cars. That, that's fair to say that, isn't it? Sure. <laughs> Look, you bought a car not so long ago and you didn't buy an electric one. You didn't even buy a hybrid. Hey, my car's 10 years old. Leave it alone. No, 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 no. You bought your wife one. And you could have had an electric car hybrid. I bought my wife the cheapest car on the market in Australia the day I bought it. But you could have still bought an electric no, car hybrid. not for even twice the price. And that's why people aren't buying them. And that's why Albanese wants to put a $25,000 tax on ICE engines, ICE cars, internal combustion engine cars, so that it makes the electric look more appealing. So, so, so he's not bringing the electric car down. He's no, just putting the petrol uh, car up. So you look at it and you go, oh, that's not a, that's not a bad deal, the electric and, car. And might I ask, who's going to get that money? Yeah, who's exactly, who's going to get that exactly. extra money straight into government coffers? Let, let's change yeah, okay. uh, ta- <laughs> tactic good. here. We're both stirred up. <laughs> I know, right? <laughs> uh, what about this phone? 
and this battery. They call it a phone in a battery. What a ripper. Tell well, us about that. Okay. It's not in the gr- net, you've got a minute 30. Okay. It's not a great phone, but it is a phone with such a big battery. It's actually about three centimetres thick, which is two or three times thicker than an iPhone. But this phone will go flat out all day and all night for seven days. And it's not a good phone. It's not a great phone. It's missing a whole bunch of features. Then you have 5G. But if you're the sort of person who's in the middle of nowhere with no rechargeability and you want a reliable phone to go a whole seven days, this is the phone Is it you. a smartphone? Yeah, but it's not that smart either. <laughs> what sort of batteries it got in it? 28 ampere, which is 2,800 milliamps. That's a massive battery. Is that lithium? Yes. Okay. Yeah. Do, you, do you see a day when you're going to get that power in a battery, which is small, like... Yes, I mean, if you've seen these new nuclear-powered batteries, the size of a, a button, which will last your phone for its entire life, they're coming. And you'd say you'll never have it to even power no, your phone you up. buy your phone once and it's full and it stays full till you, till you get the next one. Nuclear? It's got nuclear waste in it? Something like that. Yeah, it's amazing. So it's got nuclear waste? I don't know. It's got some isotope thing that, that helps power it up. It's pretty cool. Mm. It's coming. Yeah, okay. I'm going to hit the sting in a sec, unless you don't, unless you've got more. <laughs> Oh, just thinking about that battery and thinking about what's coming. Seems to me, you know, um, that as we see technology increase, it's one of those things the Bible talks about. It says when you see technology increase, no Jesus is coming soon. Did you know the Bible says that, Hunty? Yeah, love that. Amazing, mm, isn't it? It is. The Bible predicts all these things. Yeah. Interesting news. Thanks for your comments, Hunty. Always appreciate it. <laughs> You're listening to the Aussie Pastor here on Faith FM. Two Adventist colleges today we're featuring yep. in our music. Yep. The first one, Fountain View, out of Canada, one of my favourites. The second one is Tweed Valley Adventist College up in the Northern Rivers here in Australia. Both are putting out beautiful mm. music. And this one is a ripper, My Redeemer. As I look back on this road I've traveled I see so many times He's carried me through And if there's one thing that I've learned in this life My Redeemer is faithful and true My Redeemer is faithful and true said he will do every morning his mercies are new My Redeemer is faithful and true. 
Jesus is faithful and true, and that's a beautiful song from some young people out of Fountain View College in Canada. Harold Harker, how are you? Uh, you're on mute, brother. You have to unmute your thing, Harold. Thank you, Andrew. And then, and then we'll have you. That's it. Now go for it. Great. It's great to be with you. You're still up north? Yes, I'm still up north, and it's very humid and hot. And we usually get a bit of a drizzle every day. Okay, fair enough. It's pretty cool down here today. We're going to talk about the King James Bible. This is the Bible if you're over 50, maybe even 40. This will be the Bible you grew up with. It is a Bible, the only translation of the Bible mm-hmm. that was around for a long time, really. And it's a beautiful translation. A little harder to understand now because it's in the old English. But it is worth looking at this Bible that's made such a difference to uh, 20th century and to our European uh, Western culture and had a big impact on the developing world as well. Um, Harold, who wrote and translated the first English Bible? Well, the first Bible was translated by a guy called John Wycliffe. It wasn't the King James Bible, correct? No, it wasn't. This was back in 1380. King James really came in 1611. So this is the first English Bible and written by John Wycliffe. How was it written? It was all written by hand. There were no printing presses then, so it was every word was written by hand. So a Bible would be a very precious thing back then. It sure was. There weren't many copies. It'd be expensive. It would quite, they'd take us so much time just to try, to write them. Yeah. So, so when was this first English Bible written? It was toward the end of the 1380s. And you're saying Wycliffe made these manuscripts? Yes, he was the first one to write the Bible in English. Okay, let's move on. When was the first printing press made so he didn't have to write them by hand? Well, that came in the next century, in the middle of it, about the 1450s, and the guy who did it was Gutenberg. And he, what was the first book he printed? I love this. Well, the first book printed on the printing press was a Bible, it was a Latin Bible, and now they could share them much more readily. Were they printing a lot of Bibles out those days, or we don't really know? Well, we don't know the number, but they kept the princes, the press, the presses working, to and the, the the numbers of people who wanted them kept growing. Okay, yeah, of course. Who was John Collett, and what did he do in 1490? Well, he was a preacher at that time, and he began translating the New Testament for his students and for the public, and thousands packed into his church to hear him tell the the story from the Bible. So this is in English again? Yes. So there's a real hunger for the Bible back in in the Dark Ages? Well, they didn't have one, and now this great book with a message of hope 
is being made available. So Erasmus comes along. Interesting fellow. Who is he? And what did he have to do with the Bible? I actually find this a bit of an interesting story, uh, uh, Harold, because I'm not sure that he was a, a converted, born-again follower of Jesus Christ, and yet here he is involved in the... Well, tell us. Well, Erasmus, we would probably call him a humanist, hmm. and but he translated the Bible at, when it had two languages, Greek and Latin, side by side, and he did that in 1516. And what you say, this really was the seeds for the Reformation, giving the Bible into Greek and Latin that they could read. Yeah, okay. And that was Erasmus who did that. So what you've got here is you've got the Lord, Jesus, uh, step by step opening up the Bible to the masses in the middle of the Dark Ages. Right. What did the bishops and the church do to Tyndall's Bible? Well, the bishops didn't want the Bible read by people because they thought they should be the only ones to tell you what it meant. Okay. And so they tried to burn them all. Amazing, actually, that the men who claim to be God's men try to burn the Bible. How many Bibles, how many of these Bible books of Tyndall's exist today? Any or not really any? There are only two known copies of that 1525 edition of the Bible to exist today. Who bought most of Tyndall's body Bibles and what did they do with them? Hey, this is a great story. Yeah. The king's agents who were trying to destroy them, they'd buy as many as they could find. Of course, they had to buy them, <laughs> and that money Tyndall just used to print more and more. <laughs> yeah, no, I like that. <laughs> what was Tyndall's fate? <laughs> well, Tyndall, he had to leave England because the king was after his life, and he went over into what's today Belgium to Antwerp, mm. and there he was tricked by a king's agent Betrayed. who was caught impri and imprisoned and then strangled and his body was burnt. But let me tell you his last words. As he breathed his last, he said, Lord, open the king of England's eyes. So he prays that prayer. What did the English king, what happened? Tell us about the English king and the Bible. Well, the English king finally comes on board. Uh, just a, a few years later. So God answered Tyndall's prayer. Yeah. Right? Are we there? Yeah, yeah. yeah. God, God answered Tyndall's prayer. Well, the uh, that's when the king, King James, said, let's print them. Tell us so about the king's eyes were opened. Yeah. Uh, tell us about the Geneva Bible, then we'll get on to the King James. Okay. The Geneva Bible was... Uh, written by uh, the the people who really wanted the English. They were English people exiled to Geneva, and they printed the New Testament in 1557, and then the Bible. It was a great Bible because it was the only Bible that people had for probably a 100 years or more. Yeah, okay, so the Geneva Bible served the English-speaking Christians well. Um, did the Catholic Church, what was their view of the Bible? Were they resistant to it? And if so, did they ever give up their resistance? Well, they didn't like the Bible for hundreds of years, but then in 1582 they saw people wanted the Bible, so they had their own Bible pr uh, printed. It uh, was translated, it's called the Reims the New Testament, and then the Latin Vulgate. 
but uh, it didn't use all the manuscripts that the others were using. So it using. didn't have the accuracy of the others. How did the King James Bible come into being then? Well, let's go to the King James the Sixth of Scotland was invited to become King James the First of England. Mm -hmm. And uh, when he came down, the Protestant ministers said, look, we need a Bible, and they asked for a new version to replace the one they had. And even though the Geneva Bible was okay, they wanted another one. And so he said, okay, I want a, a Bible printed, and it's called the King James Bible. How many scholars were involved in putting that Bible together? Well, there were about 47, actually, that worked on it. And, you know, when you have the more scholars, the, the more you can get accuracy That's of right. what the originals meant. Were the translators of the King James Version back then, were they paid for their work? You think they would if they were doing these books that people wanted, but no, the translators of the King James Bible were not paid, so they okay. did it for love. Were the earlier English versions used to help translate the King James? Yes, they were. In fact, they used the Tyndale New Testament, the Miles Coverdale Bible, yep. the, the Matthews Bible, and the Geneva Bible. And they even looked at the Catholic Bible, the Reims, and they tried to get the best uh, interpretation out of the original languages. How similar is the King James to the Geneva Bible then? Well, it would be part there, but a lot of Tyndale's is in it too. So the, the, the thing is, all these translations are similar, aren't they? Yeah, well, they all use the same text. Yeah. And then how you translate from the Hebrew or from the Greek. How many KJVs have been sold since 1611? You wouldn't know. One over one billion copies have wow. been sold. The Bible is the most published book in the whole world. How accurate is the KJV? It's well, it's good, it's accurate. Now, it does have some old English language, mm. um, but apart from that, it's a good one that you can rely on. Would you recommend the KJV today, or if someone's starting to read the Bible, would you say go for a more modern version? I'd go for a more modern version, particularly if you're a young person. Those who are elderly probably grew up with the King James, but a, a younger person needs to get one that's in modern language, not a paraphrase, but a good modern language one. Do you use the KJV still, Harold? I've got one, but I don't use it a lot. So I'm, it, it, I'm more with the others because I'm talking to younger people often. Yeah. Last question, why do you think we should read the Bible? Well, the Bible has your hope. It tells about salvation. It talks about Jesus, and it talks about the future life that you can have in him. Love that, Harold. Beautiful interview. Really enjoyed the story of the grand old beautiful King James Version. As Harold said, get into it, read it. You're going to find Jesus. That's where Jesus is, and it's going to turn your life upside down. You're going to be a better person for it. Thank you, Harold. Amen. See you All next week. You're listening to the Aussie Pastor here on Faith FM. This is Ray Boltz and he's singing Thank You. And this is one of the most, hunty. this is one of the most moving oh, songs yeah. I've ever had the privilege of listening to in Christianity. Mm -hmm. It's about a guy mm. who goes to heaven and everyone comes and thanks him for what he did while he was here on earth to share Jesus. Beautiful song. Oh, yeah. Let's see what you guys think about it. I dreamed I went to heaven. 
heaven You were there with me We walked upon the streets of gold Beside the crystal sea We heard these angels singing And someone called your name You turned and saw this young man And he was smiling as he came he said, friend, you may not know me now Then he said, boy, you used to teach my Sunday school And I was only eight And every week you would say a prayer Before the class would start One day when you said that prayer in my heart So thank you for giving to the Lord Cause I am the light that was changed Thank you for giving to the Lord I am so Then another man stood before you Said, remember the time A missionary came to your church His pictures made you cry And you didn't have much money But you gave it anyway well, Jesus took the gift you gave And that's why I'm in heaven today So thank you For giving to the Lord I am the life that was changed Thank you For giving to the Lord I am so One by one they came Far as your eyes could see Each life somehow touched By your generosity And it was the little things you done Sacrifices you made oh, They were unnoticed on this earth In heaven now Look around you, for great is your reward. Thank you for giving to the Lord. Cause I am a light that was changed. Thank 
song love it this sermon i preached on saturday in my church last sabbath hunty yeah it's very close to my heart hope you're blessed oh right <laughs> jesus saves and i think this is the key text of my ministry and if i were to die god forbid what the lesson say this morning we we get three score on 10 70 years and i'm 60 and i'm thinking man 10 years how many more trips to Bali have I got left in me, Litzka? <laughs> um, if I were to die in my funeral, this is the key text I want the preacher to preach on. Because this is the text of my life. This is the reason I survive in Christianity. This is the reason when things don't go well, when my health deteriorates, Brother Gil, I'm glad to hear you're getting better, when my health deteriorates, this is the thing I look to. When I look back, I, I won't tell you and I'll tell you honestly, when I look back, and again, we look at these pastors and we say, oh, they've got it all together. No, most of us have not. We struggle, we battle, we sin, we fall into temptation. We need a saviour. And when I look back on my 60, long life, if I was relying on what I've done and the victories and the failures that I've had, I would be a terrified mess because my life is not worthy to be put forward as a ticket to eternal life. And I know it, and God knows it, my wife knows it, and anyone close to me knows it. My life will not, is not, and never will be good enough to have eternity. It scares me if I look at myself, and I think that what I'm doing somehow is going to make me worthy for eternity. And so I have this key text. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing. It is a gift of God, not the result of works, so that no one can boast. Now you look at that, I want to ask your church this morning, could Paul the Apostle have been clearer? Could he? And yet, I think in Adventism, I speak specifically to my tribe, my church this morning for a moment. We struggle with this scripture and this faith more than any other doctrine in the Bible. For by grace, not by works, not by commandment keeping, but by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing, it is the gift of God, not the result of works, so that no one can boast. And this gospel amongst many people is unpopular. And if you don't think 
what I'm saying is the truth, then you just got to go and have a look at Lloyd Grolleman's Facebook page as I try to advance this gospel. And the attacks and the hostility and the anger that comes back at me over this gospel that Jesus saves and Jesus alone. And I'll tell you, my Adventist brothers and sisters, my friends, my family, my church, the people I belong to, if you cannot get yourself into a place where you say, Jesus saved me and Jesus alone, and nothing I have done except through faith, except that will, will, will get me to the kingdom, if you cannot accept that, you need to stop in your walk with Christ right now. You need to go into a room and you do not come out of that until you understand it. And while you're in there, you go and read the books of Paul. Go read nothing else. Don't go anywhere else. Don't read any other theologian. Don't read any other writer. Just go and read the books of Paul. Start with Romans. Then go to all the other ones, First and Second Corinthians, Ephesians, Philippians. Finish in the book of Hebrews. By the way, a book I believe Paul wrote. I'm not sure why there's an argument over that. When I read Hebrews and I read the other books of Paul, I see his style all the way through it. But anyway, I'm not arguing that this morning. But you need to read these books and you need to read them thoroughly and carefully and by the time you get to the end of them, I promise you, you'll understand the gospel. You'll understand the gospel. There's a reason Paul, together with Jesus, I've shared this with you before, are the most hated people in Scripture by the Jews. Because it's Paul, above all others, that takes the gospel that Jesus alone and Jesus only saves. It's him who takes it to the Jews and to the world. And they don't like it because they want to work their way to heaven. Um, as I said, you go to my Facebook page and you'll see the hostility to the gospel. And the thing that kind of wounds me a little bit, and I'm sharing from my heart with you a bit this morning, is that the hostility mostly comes from who do you reckon? Seventh-day Adventists. You know, all the other people on our Facebook page and our ministry, all those secular people out there who don't know the Bible and don't know the Gospel, when they hear this story that Jesus saves and Jesus saves and Jesus alone, they jump at it. They grab it. And they want it. But there seems to be in us, maybe it's because we do. Do we believe in the Ten Commandments? I do. The Bible's very clear. Do we believe in obedience to God through the Ten Commandments? Yeah. Maybe it's because of that side of it that we struggle to understand the gospel. Because we've, you know, I remember teaching my kids the Ten Commandments and I on my way to school and the kids are in the car and I'm teaching them the Ten Commandments and they're four, five, six years of age and they're learning it and I'm praying to God that he'll take the commandments from their head where I've put it and take it to their heart. This is good stuff, isn't it? Aren't you glad that we're a Sabbath-keeping, seventh-day church? This is obedience. This is, this is obeying the law, but the law won't save you. Only Jesus can do that. And so when you're talking about being saved, don't go to the law. Because the law's got nothing to offer you but death. You go to Jesus. It's Jesus only that saves. And there seems to be a, a hostility in us that comes out when we're talking on this subject. By the way, I, I was thinking about... Um, 
social media. Again, I'm going off the track here, but I thought I'm going to say this and kind of insert it. Sometimes as pastors and preachers, we insert little things we want our congregations to hear as we're preaching. You know what, if I was a, I'm a father, but if I was a father and lose a mum again and we had kids, they'd be good looking kids, wouldn't they, Liz? If you and me were to... Is it too... Yeah, it is too late. Yeah. Um, I would never let my kids on social media until they were 15 or 16 years of age. And we're using social media for ministry. I'll tell you what, it is so destructive to our kids. It is destroying them from the inside out. And I think one day I might preach a sermon on that. I thought I might put this here. Now, this week I came across this statement, which I put up online. Whew! Did it get a reaction? I want to read it to you. I wonder what you feel about it. This is a statement by Philip Yancey. He's a Protestant theologian. Don't necessarily agree with everything Philip Yancey says. But I like this statement. It's an absolute beauty. He says, Jesus forgave a thief dangling on a cross, knowing full well the thief had converted out of plain fear. Well, that caused a bit of a reaction amongst some of our brethren. The idea that you can convert to God in fear. Well, let me give you a little opening, a little uh, uh, news, if, if you don't think that's possible, that your pastor, first when he came to Jesus, converted to him in fear. I came to Jesus in great fear for my eternity, for where I was in my life. And I was converted afraid. But you know what happened? When I got converted, Jesus came into my life. Amen? And what do you think he did? First thing he did is take away the fear and replace it with love and peace. But you can come to Jesus in fear. That thief would never study the Bible, never attend synagogue or church, and never make amends to those he had wronged. He simply said, Jesus, remember me. And Jesus promised, today, comma, you'll be with me in paradise. It was another shocking reminder that grace does not depend on what we have done for God, but rather what God has done for us. Is there an amen in the church to that? Do you feel challenged by it or not? Well, if you're not, praise the Lord, you've got the gospel. Um, resistance to this statement. And I wonder this morning, if you're watching this online or or television, or you're watching in the church, do you feel resistance to that? Because if you do, your resistance is to the gospel, and you need to stop. I say this gently. And you need to restudy, and rethink, and repray, and go and work out the gospel in your heart and in your life. So I thought I might just have a quick look at this story, just for a few moments. Jesus is up on the cross. You know the scene. He's been dragged through Pilate's court. And by the way, it's a very healthy thing to spend regular time in your Bible study and prayer on the cross. One wise lady once said we should spend a thoughtful hour every single day in contemplating and meditating on the cross. And I don't think too many of us do that. Remember once I decided to spend a month just studying the cross. And I found it immensely and deeply blessed to do it. Um, so here we've got Jesus on the cross and the Bible says two others, both criminals, were led out to be ex executed with him. When they came to a place called the skull, they nailed him to the cross. And the criminals were also crucified, one on his right and one on his left. Now, crucifixion must have been a terrible thing. Uh, my dad used to preach that 
about the crucifixion and he'd done a little bit of research when I was a boy and I, I remember graphically what he used to say and I, I decided not to go too graphic on what happened to criminals and to Jesus when he's crucified but the physical torture that they go through is just awful. The nails <coughs> through your hands and through your feet. Uh, um, I used to be a carpenter. Dwayne laughs at that. You can laugh if I had to, if my life was on it today, I could still frame a house up. It would take me probably about six months to do it when it should be a week, but I could do it. And, and, and I've had a little bit of experience with nails in the flesh. I remember one particular day I had a nail gun, a Senko nail gun. That's not a Senko, that's probably a, what's the orange one, Pazlo or something or other. But I had a Senko, uh, the one that worked on air. Today they, they don't, they, there's no air, they... I don't know how they work, gas or something or other. But I had this nail gun and I was nailing into a corner and the nail skewed out. And kids, you can come and check this after church if you want to. And it went, I don't know how it happened, but it ended up embedded in this finger. And it went right through to the end of the finger. The problem wasn't really going in, it was coming out. And I didn't go to the doctor to pull it out because I just got my hammer instantly and pulled it out. Whoo! Did that hurt? You imagine, just for a moment, if you're the thief on the cross. Let's, let's move, move away from Jesus' experience for a moment, because we're talking about the thief. And you had, you know, in, in my young day, they used to have the thief on the cross tied to the cross. They weren't tied to the cross. Like Jesus, they were nailed to the cross. Can you imagine that? Being nailed to a cross through the hands and through the feet. Well, I've also experienced nails in the feet, Brother Dwayne, have you experienced that? I think most builders have. I remember one particular day I was up and we were framing a roof. Again, I had my nargun. I had to drop down onto the ground to do something. Now, when you're young, I'd never do this. Now, if I did this, I'd break two legs in my back and be in traction for 12 months. When you're young, though, and you're up on the, the roof, all you do is from, from uh, the ceiling, you just jump down to the ground. So I jumped down to the ground, didn't see the piece of timber on the ground with a nail sticking up out of it and right into my foot. But what do you do when that happens? Well, instantly you pull it out. And I pulled it out and my foot actually, and I was a guy who liked back in those days, enjoyed work, didn't want to leave work. I went for another hour or two and I said to my boss, Kenny, I said, Kenny man, I cannot stay at work anymore and I went home. I was at home for almost a week trying to recover from being impaled by a nail and it was a three inch nail through a one and a half inch piece of timber. So it went in at least an inch and a half. And I spent over a week trying to recover. I think back on it, it's a wonder I didn't get an infection. So to get nailed to a cross, if you're the thief, is a horrific experience. And I know for a fact that the overriding emotion that the thief, both of them would have been feeling, would have been horror and terror and fear. Think for a moment. They're being tortured to death. So don't come to me and tell me that if you're in fear, you can't come to Jesus. You can come to Jesus however you are this morning. You can be in fear. You can be depressed. You can be down and out. You can be lonely. Doesn't matter where you're at. Doesn't matter how you feel. You can come to Jesus. The thief is terrified. Now look at this. One of the criminals hanging beside him, remember there's two, 
scoffed. She goes, so you're the Messiah, are you? Prove it by saying, saving yourself and us too while you're at it. I don't think there's, there's much worse than people scoffing at Jesus. So I thought I'd, I'd share with you a little bit about scoffing just for a moment. Um, as of yesterday, on our Aussie Pastor page on Facebook, we have 46,758 people following. That's pretty good. Hallelujah, amen. It's actually a pretty big page. And we choose to spend money. Facebook's an interesting uh, beast. It, it, it's not done on popularity. If you want to get your message out on Facebook, you've got to pay for it. So if we're preaching and we want to spend some money, it can go out to millions. Most of the time we don't spend money because we haven't got it. But it can go out to millions. Now, our biggest age group, people who watch us the most, are 25 to 34-year-olds. Can you believe that? And then the next biggest group is 18 to 24-year-olds. So it seems to me that it's young people around the world that are looking at the gospel. Uh, the largest nation who follow us is, do you know? Australia. Of course, we're Australian. After Australia, Afghanistan. After Afghanistan, make sure I get this right, uh, Lebanon. Lebanon, Libya. What is this saying to you? That in the Islamic world, amongst young people, they're looking for something else. 70% um, of those who follow us are men. That's how it is. This guy does not attract women. <laughs> I think it's a good thing. Because out there, men are not responding to Jesus. Hallelujah. Amen. We are attracting to our page men. Still 30% of them are women. But 70% are men. And last month, we were on holidays. We didn't do a single thing. And 70,000 people logged onto our Facebook page and watched something. Hallelujah, amen. amen. Now, when you have a Facebook page like uh, Aussie Pastor and New Hope has, you've got to be careful because what you don't want to do is turn people away. And I will not block just about anybody except someone who consistently and regularly scoffs at Jesus. I think there's something really off about scoffing at Jesus, whether you believe in him or not. I think the fact that he is God, God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. Three entities, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, one God. I think the fact that Jesus is God, I think he deserves better. And so on the, the very few times I have blocked someone on our page, it's always been for consistently, regularly, scoffing at Jesus. And here's Jesus up on the cross dying for us and the thief is scoffing at him. Sometimes it's those who were closest to Jesus, to God and who wander away, who end up scoffing the hardest. Come from a theology class of near on 30 young men and a few women. Just about all got picked up as pastors. 
Today, perhaps five or six of us, maybe even less, are left. And those who went out, went out hard. And they didn't just leave Adventism, they left Christianity, they left Jesus and they left God. And I have noticed that as my friends who I trained with to be pastors, who scoff the hardest at Jesus. And this thief, here's Jesus dying on the cross, suffering for his sins. And I believe Satan through this thief is attacking Jesus. And he's scoffing at him. But the other criminal protested, don't you fear God? Even when you've been sentenced to die, we deserve to die for our crimes. But this man hasn't done anything wrong. And then this is the key to the whole story. And then he said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And this morning, if you're not following Jesus, that could be a good prayer for you to pray. This morning, and I know what this is like, if you're caught in sin, you cannot escape. If you're addicted to something, if you've fallen away from Jesus this morning, pray that prayer. Remember me, Jesus, when you come into your kingdom. There is only one answer Jesus will ever give to that prayer. He will never say, no, I won't. Manny, Mandela, my boy, likes to come to me every Saturday night and ask to go to McDonald's. He's got a strike hit rate of success of about 3%. <laughs> Can I go to McDonald's? No. No, not really. If he's been good, I'll take him to McDonald's. Costing me near on 30 bucks to feed that kid at McDonald's now. He has these huge meals. But the thing is, I as a father know how to say no and consistently say no. In fact, perhaps I'm better at no than yes, Lizzie. But Jesus, if you pray that prayer, your father, he will never, ever say no. This will always be his answer to you. No matter what you've done, no matter where you've been, no matter how you feel about yourself, you might be feeling pretty bad about yourself this morning. If you pray that prayer, Jesus, remember me, and I pray the Holy Spirit come in the church now and convict you with this. Remember me. I'm not unworthy. Remember me. I'm caught in sin. Remember me. I can't escape from Satan. Remember me. I'm trying to be good, but I keep falling. Remember me. You pray that prayer, Jesus will always reply, I assure you today. When? When? Right now, instantly. I assure you today you'll be with me in paradise. You know, I found the key to being with Jesus is repentance. And I looked at that story and I tried to find repentance. Is it there? Did he repent of his sins? Did he repent of his sins? I think the moment he said, remember me, there was repentance. Have I gone too far for the story there? I believe the very fact that he said, remember me, he was acknowledging Jesus as the saviour. He was coming before him, I'm a thief, I'm dying on the cross, I've got nowhere else to go, I'm under torture, I'm full of fear, I'm going into darkness. Lord Jesus, he's recognising who he is, Jesus the saviour, remember me. Is that repentance? That's repentance. And if you're struggling today, and I'm bringing this to a close, and I'll tell a quick story and I'll finish. Repent. 
Repent of your life. Repent of what you're doing. Repent of where you've been. Repent of your sins. And if you don't know how to repent, and I've shared this with you before, go to Psalm 51, the greatest repentance chapter in the entire Bible where you've got David who's done far worse than you'll ever do. He murdered his best friend. You know the story. And not only did he murder his best friend, he slept with his wife and then later married her. Man, if ever there was a guy who needed to repent, it was David. I don't think none of you have done that. And if you had, you better come and see me. And take you down to the police station. And <laughs> He's a murderer. A murderer of his best, one of his best friends. <clears throat> one of his mighty men. Remember me. Jesus, remember me. Psalm 51. Go there. Pray this prayer. Have mercy on me, O God, because of your unfailing love. Because of your great compassion. I mean, I'm feeling this myself. Blot out the stain of my sins. You pray this prayer that David prayed and it becomes yours. Wash, wash me clean, verse 2, from my guilt. Purify me from my sin. For I recognise rebellion. It haunts me day and night. Against you and you alone have I sinned. I've done evil in your sight. 7, verse 7, purify me from my sins. I'll be clean. Wash me and I'll be whiter than snow. Oh, give me back the joy again. You've broken me. Don't keep looking at my sins. Verse 9, remove the stain of my guilt. Verse 10, so beautiful. Create in me a clean heart, O oh God. Do not banish me from your presence. Restore to me your joy. It's a beautiful chapter. It's one of repentance. And when you repent and you've come to Jesus, he died so he can remember you. And I stress again, wherever you are, if you ask today, he will remember you. Martin Luther, as I close, struggled real hard with this truth. Brought up a Roman Catholic. If ever there was an organisation and a religion that drives people into works-orientated salvation, it's a Catholic church. And he brought up a Catholic the greatest reformer, Protestant reformer, became the greatest Protestant reformer the world has ever seen. Uh, before that, though, he was a plagued man. Do you know there's more written about Martin Luther than any other person in the history of the world except Jesus Christ? He's a plagued man. He would get up as a young man. Well, he was on the way somewhere to, to visit someone and there was a huge storm lightning, thunder, and he cried out, Lord, and he was training to be a lawyer, Lord, save me and I'll become a monk, I'll become a priest. Well, he never died, and within a few weeks he was in the seminary, much to his father's disgust, and he became a monk, he became a priest. And he became so intense looking for Jesus to forgive him for, himself, for, for his sins that he would get up in the middle of the night and he would go through the, the German winter, and I've been to Germany in winter and it's an awful cold place. And, and with, with, naked he would be in his little cell and he would be crying out to God for forgiveness and suffering the torture, trying to earn his way to heaven. He would get a whip and he would whip himself until his, his back was a bloody mess. The guy was doing everything he could to find Jesus and salvation. Eventually he ends up in Rome and he's going up the Scala Sancta, which are a a set of stairs that the Catholic Church says were miraculously bought by Gabriel from Pilate's Judgment Hall to Rome. There's a lot of nonsense, but that's what they'll say. And he's going up these stairs and he's flagellating himself again, 
trying to earn his way to the kingdom and partway up the stairs, God must have been the Holy Spirit. Third person of Godhead. Man, the Holy Spirit's wonderful, isn't he? The way he works with us, driving us to Jesus, uh, uh, lifting up God. I, I mean, without the Holy Spirit, you're going nowhere. It must have been the Holy Spirit who came to him. The just shall live by faith, Romans. He got up from the Scala Sancta, walked down to the bottom of those stairs, left Rome and started the Protestant Reformation. Why? Because he found the truth. And what is the truth? That Jesus saves. Jesus saves you. Only Jesus and no one else. And so I will finish on, as I ask our singers to come forward, I'll finish once again with this statement. Thank you, singers. Jesus forgave a thief dangling on a cross knowing full well the thief had converted out of plain fear. Doesn't matter how you come to Jesus today, just come. That thief would never study the Bible, never attend synagogue or church, and never make amends to those he had wronged. He simply said, Jesus, remember me. And Jesus promised, today, comma, you will be with me in paradise. It was another shocking reminder that grace does not depend on what we have done for God, but rather what God has done for us. Please, Jesus, remember me. You're listening to the Aussie Pastor here on Faith FM. This is my friend May Peaky, and she's singing, singing. Yes. I love living in love with Jesus. Each day with him is sweeter 
I love living in love with Jesus. Hey, this next um, testimony is from a millennial, hunty. It is. She's got born a, in the late nineties. Got a YouTube page called Kirby is a Boss. Yep. I, I think she's born after the nineties, mate. Ninety six, ninety seven, I think. Oh, I thought it was in the two thousands. Okay, we'll see. She looks like a two thousands girl. We'll see. She uh, says her age in the in the testimony. Oh, that'll sort it out. <laughs> uh, not that that matters because it's powerful. It's she powerful. talks about how she came to Jesus. Pretty moving story. It is. Thanks, Auntie. Hey there, YouTube. My name's Kirby. As a boss, welcome to my room. Welcome to my channel. And today it is Easter. And I know what you're thinking. Kirby's probably going to talk about Jesus and stuff and blah blah blah. We're about to get real. We are about to talk about my life story, my testimony. I have a story, and I need to tell it. Here we go. I was born in London, England on March 5th, 1997. I had an awesome family. We weren't like diehard Christians. We would go to church like usually on Sundays, meet, like holidays we would, but um, that was really it. 9-11 happened. That one day changed my family's life forever. My dad worked in New York and everything, and luckily he wasn't in the World Trade Centers or anything like that when they fell down, and uh, we lost connection with him for like a couple couple hours about a phone call luckily from my dad and he was like I'm alive and everything but because of that event it caused my dad to go into a really bad depression it carried over into my family eventually it led up to the divorce of my parents when I was seven years old so my brother and I moved to Texas with my mom because she had custody of us so when I moved here I went to lots of therapy and I honestly mentally blocked out everything like I can't recall anything like from the first like year or two that I lived here here um, just because like I was just really like depressed but around that same time I was eight years old I started going to a camp called Sky Ranch in Van Texas and it's a Christian camp and my mom like heard it on the radio and that's when I started learning about like who Jesus was as like a savior and as a person I guess that's when like the seeds were like planted in my life when I was in fifth grade I was 10 years old and it was January 9th and I came home from school and immediately when I opened up 
up the door having this like feeling and I knew something wasn't okay So I walked through the door my brother and I did and my mom and my aunt and my grandpa were sitting on the couch And I just remember thinking like why is everybody here and my mom told my brother and I to take a seat So we did my mom looks at my brother and I and she tells us so this morning your grandma called us and your father passed away this morning from a heart attack. And I just remember sitting there thinking like this is a joke. And so I said that, I was like you're joking, like that's not funny, like you shouldn't joke about those kinds of things. And I looked around, everyone in the room was like sobbing in that moment. Like I realized like, like my, my dad's dead. Like I'm never going to see him again. Like he's never going to walk me down the aisle. He's never gonna be there for my prom. He's never gonna like be there for, you know, my wedding. He's never gonna be there for the most important moments of my life. I ran up to my room and I locked my door. And I just remember feeling so much pain and so much agony. I immediately turned to God and I said, why? Why are you taking my dad from me? How could you do this to me? Why, you're like, you're a monster, God. Why do you hate me? Why, what did I do wrong? Like, why are you taking this out on me? Like, this isn't fair. I hated him. I hated God. I hated him for taking away my dad from me. You know, I was like 10 years old and my parents were divorced and then I moved and I barely got to see him and he was supposed to come down that weekend so my brother and I could spend time with him. And what made it even worse was that that weekend of the funeral when I came back to school the next day, they passed out flyers for the daddy-daughter dance. And I just remember sitting at my desk I got handed this stupid piece of paper. Everyone came up to me, they're like, why are you crying, Kirby? Like, are you going to the dance? And I was like, no, my dad just died like four days ago. I hated God, I hated him. I was so mad at him. Then my depression came back and I went to therapy again. I felt hopeless and I began building up walls in my heart. Like I couldn't trust people. I wouldn't let people into my life just because I didn't want to get hurt again. Eventually I kind of just shoved everything in a corner and I was like, okay, God, like it's whatever. Let's just forget this happened and like move on. And like, mind you, I'm still going to this Christian camp and everything. Then eighth grade happened and in eighth grade, I started getting bullied by one of my really close friends. It was like passive aggressive type bullying too so it was like she would just like say things and that would like make me feel insecure and I always felt inferior to her and she would just constantly leave me feeling down and I felt so alone and I would come home and I would just hate myself I like I thought I wasn't pretty enough and I wasn't smart enough and that like nobody loved me I wanted to kill myself and I would come home every night and I had this journal, I don't know where it is now, but I had this journal and I would just write in it every night like I wish I could just kill myself, like I just want to die, like I'm done. Then my suicidal thoughts really started taking over my life. Meanwhile, whenever I would go to school, I was like the happiest kid and like, like you guys see how like joyful I am and everything, that's how I was acting. I was pretending to be that way, mask that everything was okay and that nothing was wrong and I let nobody know, I let no one know. That's not okay for like a kid to be thinking that. There were times when I was like, okay, tonight's the night, like I'm gonna do it, like I'm gonna kill myself, like it's gonna happen, like we're going through with it. And it was like every time that like, I was like, okay, like I'm gonna do it, there was like this voice in the back of my head. I didn't realize 
at the time that it was, it was God, but there was this voice in the back of my head that would tell me, just one more day. Come on, like, just, just one more day, just one more day. You can get through one more day. I mean, obviously, like, I'm here. So I went to summer camp that following summer, the summer before um, high school. It, it was a Wednesday night, and I'm worshiping, and I'm like, you know, Lord Jesus, blah, 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 singing all the songs that I had sang before. In that moment, like, as I was worshiping, it was... I'm probably gonna start crying like tears of joy right now. I started worshiping and I, I felt there's like no way to describe it other than like complete euphoria. Like my whole body was just like taken over and like I just felt like 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 God was like right in front of me. Like it was I wish I could like summon the words to describe like what was going on and what was happening and what I was feeling but I mean like it was like the Holy Spirit like took over my body and just like time froze. God was just like Kirby and I was just like what? Like like I felt him talking to me and I was like he, like yes God? He was kind of just like like what's going on? Like what are you doing with your life? Why are you thinking these thoughts and like feeling this way? And I was like, God, like I've just built up a barrier in my heart for so long. Like I, I just, I can't trust you. I can't trust anyone. I mean, God, like I'm just trying to solve all these problems on my own and I'm trying to pretend like I'm perfect and like everything is perfect because I don't want people to see that I'm weak. I mean, I want to die though. God, like I'm done and I hate my life and I'm miserable. I'm done with comparing myself to people and I'm trying to like please everyone and the world and make everything perfect and everything in my life okay but it's not and like I began realizing all these things and I began having all these revelations and God like I just don't know what to do and he was like just lay it down just like give it all to me I was like I can't God I don't trust you and he was like Kirby I've been with you this whole time and like he revealed to me why things happen the way they did and like things with like my dad things had to happen the way they happened Kirby like Evil is not from me. I am not evil. I am love. Evil is at the fault of humanity. I'm not hurting you, Kirby. Those people are, and I love you. And I want to love you, and I want all those wonderful things for you. I want you to feel loved and joyful. I don't want you following the ways of this world. And so in that moment, I realized that whenever I'm fixating my eyes on like Christ and whenever I'm worshiping him and whenever I'm at this summer camp, I get up on this camp high. Like I feel like God and I feel joyful and like truly happy. I feel complete. I was like, God, like I'm tired of that. Like, I, I want to focus on you and just, like, live for you, God. Because whenever I'm here, whenever I'm focusing on you, I'm joyful. And I want that. I'm tired of being depressed. I want I want to be joyful. And God was like, well, then you got it. And in that moment, like, I just, I truly realized, like, what Christ had done for me. And that he died for me. That he came to this world to die for all that. Everything I've done wrong. All the sin. All of the hurt. And the anger. And the worry. And the depression. Died for that. And then he conquered death so I could live with him in this joy and this love and I was like man God like I want that in that moment I just began cr crying tears of joy and I was jumping around and I was screaming praises and I was just on top of the world and I was like God you're a good father and you love me when I feel like the world hates me and people hate me and even when I feel like I hate myself God 
You love me. Everyone came up to me, they're like, Kirby, like, are you okay? I'm like, yes, like, God is good. I just accepted him into my heart and it was like a movie. Like, we burst open through the doors and we were running through a field and we were all crying and screaming praises because, like, the Holy Spirit was just so evident and, like, radiating through us all that, like, my entire cabin, we were all just like, Jesus, I'm freaking out. After that, when I got back home, I was like, God, like, we're doing this. Like, I'm living for you. And I'm not saying that the Christian life has been an easy road since then. Like, I'm not saying that my life has been perfect because it's not it's funny because like we feel like he's not there but the moment that like we turn to him and he delivers us from those situations we can see him being there the entire time and after summer camp like I said I went home and I was just living for Jesus I found my church I went into high school and it's crazy how so many of my friends became so lost and I'm just so thankful that like the Lord was there for me through high school he gave me good friends and gave me awesome opportunities to like serve him and to learn more about him and learn about his faithfulness and learn that Kirby like you may not have an earthly father but like you have a father in heaven who loves you and who is constantly there for you and knows everything about you can't keep anything from him and he wants to give you the world and more and he will give you the desires of your heart so it's like yes I may not have like an earthly father and everything but it's like I have a father in heaven who loves me immeasurably more I know our finite minds cannot comprehend like an infinite God and it may seem scary to trust in him and everything but best decision of my life he won't keep any good thing from you and it's true that you know what I may not always be happy I'll go through times of depression and anxiety and trials and tribulations I may not always be happy but I will always be joyful when it comes to serving the Lord my God I am only this way I'm only joyful and like happy and alive because of God's goodness. Honestly, I could go on and on and on and on about like what he's done in my life after that and like the things he's taken me through and taught me and uh, how he shaped me to be like a woman of the Lord. But it's like, I just encourage you all to seek him. He wants you to desire to seek him, to have a relationship with him and then he will reveal himself to you. I hope through this you realize that like God is not evil, like God is love. We don't have to be perfect to come to God. We can be a broken mess. He wants to piece us back together and clean us up. And he wants to help us become who he created us to be. And whether you believe in whatever I'm saying or not, I know it's true. I mean, I went through a lot of stuff and I'm just giving you Cliff Notes version. I've gone through things and I've seen things and I've experienced things that you would think a person a person shouldn't go through. You know, you realize that you go through these things for a reason and you appreciate why you went through those things, no matter how hard they were. But in all honesty, I'm only saying this because he changed my life for the good. It breaks my heart when I see people who like don't have that with him. Cause it's like, I want you to have that goodness. I want you to experience his love and to realize you have a purpose. Like it, it pains my heart because I know who I was without him and seeing who I am with him. I don't want anyone to be or to feel how I felt when I was lost and when I didn't have God because that was hell. And I don't want anyone experiencing or going to hell. Mm, God bless you, Kirby. What a beautiful testimony. Hey, if your life's bumping along the edge right now and this is triggering for you, find a friend or call Lifeline 13 11 14. Reach out. You're listening to The Aussie Pastor here on Faith FM. This is Shelley. 
Kabako, hope I've said that right, from Tweed Valley Adventist College up in the Northern Rivers here in Australia. And she's singing one of my favourite songs, and it is such a beautiful rendition. This is my father's world. This is my father's world And to my listening ears All nature sings and round me rings The music of the spheres This is my
that was magnificent to think. That's a student at the Adventist College in Tweed Heads. Shelley, Shelley, Shelley. I'm going to get this right. Kabako. Shelley. Magnificent. You can sing, girl. Come down, sing at our church. Hey, it's mm. time for Ask Ozzy Pastor, my favourite segment. It's not too late. Well, it might be. But if you want to send us a question, <laughs> <laughs> at least for next week, you can text them to us on 0488880851. So 0488. No, no rhythm in that. No, no rhythm in that. It wasn't 0488 880851. Or you can email us. And the email address is at gmail.com. All right, here we go. Now, I want to get you on this one because I've been trying for a while. In Proverbs 31, verse 6 and 7, it says, Give strong drink unto him that is ready to perish, and wine unto the bitter in soul. Let him drink and forget his poverty and remember his misery no more. Now, a listener has also texted in and said, Hi, guys. Surprised that you told your listeners that Jesus did not drink wine. Don't be surprised. He didn't. Well, what is Proverbs saying? Read the whole question. Okay, this listener says, his name's John, he says, there are many scriptures to substantiate. Overeating and drunkenness is only condemned. Happy to help you with the scriptures. Alcoholic wine is Bible-based. Kind regards, John. Thanks, Bible John. student, 49 years, ex-UK. Well, he's been a Bible student longer than me, so I'm going <laughs> to give him that. How about my Proverbs text? Um, and remember well, firstly, his misery no more. Firstly, John. Okay. Uh, there's not a single Bible text, not one, not a single Bible text from Genesis to Revelation, from Matthew to Revel- Revelation. So that's Old Testament to the end of the New Testament, or beginning of New Testament to the end of the New Testament that says Jesus drank alcoholic wine. Not one, not anywhere. There's a challenge, John. Send it back to me. I'll say this gently. Send it back and okay. show me because it's not there. Now, the proof that Jesus never drank alcoholic wine is simple. Jesus came, Matthew one twenty one, to save the lost. He's not going to come to save the lost and drink a substance that inebriates his mind and opens him up to the attack of Satan. It's just not possible. So not only does the Bible not say Jesus didn't drink wine, it just doesn't say he did it. And people say, well, you can't argue from silence. No, you can't, but you can argue on the character of Jesus Christ. Okay. And the character of Jesus Christ is one of full control in the Holy Spirit. He would not drink, take a substance, no matter what it is, wine, alcohol, drugs, anything, that takes away his ability to do the task that God sent him to do, and that is to save the world. Yeah, I get that. But you know, you know I've never had a drop, right? I don't drink and never yeah. had a drop. But I still, I don't get this text in Proverbs where he says, drink and forget your misery. Read it. Read Proverbs, the text. Proverbs 31, 6 and 7. Give strong drink unto him that is ready to perish. Okay, okay. What's it just say? Ready so, to perish. Is that someone dying. who's ready to live? No, dying. Or to perish. It's talking be, not just dying. It could be a cancer patient. It's not just, no, no, no. It's not talking just physically. It's talking about someone dying in sin, away from God, someone who's going to perish. And wine unto the bitter soul. Wine unto the bitter soul. A, a, a born again person is not perishing and is not bitter. It's just the Bible saying, hey, these guys are lost. They're doomed. So drink and forget his poverty it's not saying and to remember do it. his just, misery no it's more. It's not saying to do it. It's just saying they're doomed. Uh-huh. It's, just a, it's just a description of Got the it. doomed. It's Got a it. description of the lost. Well, there you go. Yeah. So, okay. so, so two things there, because I think this is really important. Because I see Christians try to advance the, the idea that the, the, the Bible only preaches and teaches abstinence. It does if you don't take the character, if you don't take the direction, if you don't take the overall truths of the Bible that come out 
uh, beyond just thus saith the Lord, and in, in other words, beyond just the, the singular words that the Bible's written in. I think you misspoke when you said abstinence. I think you meant a moderation. I don't know what I said. You said abstinence. Well, you've I, lost me. I, oh, I'm I don't sorry. know what I'm. Oh, you have to. You have to unpack it. I'm. You, you said the Bible teaches abstinence, but I think what you were quoting is people think the Bible's teaching moderation. Okay, whatever. Whatever. All right. <laughs> Let gone. me move on. We've no, 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 no. I'm not finished left. on oh, this. I'm not okay. finished on this. Sorry to bite in there. You're on yeah, the yeah, floor. Yeah, no, no, no. That's all right. I have to get myself back up and fly. <laughs> back um, to altitude. The Bible preaches teaches advances abstinence in every single place your body is the bible says your body is the temple Mm. the temple of god Mm. the holy spirit comes into your body possesses you that's why we don't commit adultery uh that's why we don't commit fornication that's why we don't destroy our body with alcohol and other substances that take away our abilities to keenly look at the battle between good and evil and to make decisions that put us into the realm of Jesus Christ. And so did Jesus drink wine? Absolutely not. On what basis do you say that? On his character, on his ministry and on his message and on the fact that the Bible is silent. Never once does it say that Jesus drank wine, Mm. alcoholic Mm. wine. Mm. Got it. Well done. All right. And I think next week, let's go back and have a look at the wedding in Cana. Love to. Because that's where they go. And yes. I'm going to go back and look at that. You and I so went we'll there. Look at, we'll, Stood right in that place. I don't know whether we went to Cana. but We, we went, went to the place, the church where they... We were in Nazareth. <laughs> I thought we went to the place that made the wine for that. Anyway, No, no, we were in Nazareth. Here's a quick one. You've got a minute left. If Jesus does all the saving like you say, then why bother to be good? Oh, because when Jesus, that's a good one. That's a ripper. When the Holy Spirit comes into your heart and converts you and convicts you and leads you closer to God, which does, by the way, take you away from substances that harm you, Jesus, the Holy, the Holy Spirit, Jesus through the Holy Spirit will, will make you more like him. Does that make sense? It does. It It'll does. make you more like him. So you become kinder. You get the fruits of the Spirit. You become gentler. Habits change, practices change. Um, the Holy Spirit takes you step from, by step from where you are to where Jesus wants you to be, and and that's why it's important. You're listening to the Aussie Pastor here on Faith FM. You pulled that up early. No, right on time. I was having a cough. Right on time. Fourteen seconds early. No, nah, look at the clock now. It's time for the song. <laughs> <laughs> Can I loaf, loaf into the song? Or <laughs> you know what I... you are. <laughs> this is the one song. I always choose one song, Hunty, yes. that gives the people who listen to our radio mm. program an yep. opportunity to get a glimpse into what church hope. is like. Hope. Yep. Yeah, New Hope. Mm. Now, we sing a whole heap of songs, but this is one we sing fairly regularly. It's called Blessed Assurance. This is Gerald Wolfe, who you went and saw, Hunty, a few months ago. That's right. You enjoy in it? In Parramatta, fantastic. Where were you? In, in Riverside the... Theatre. He's coming back, I hear, to the Opera House. Oh, nice. Yeah, yeah. And he's singing Blessed Assurance, but he's singing it in the style and the approach that we at New Hope, other churches are different, but we at New Hope, this is what we do. I hope you enjoy it, and I hope it blesses you, and I hope it draws you closer to Jesus. Blessed us.
You know the second verse, right? Perfect submission. I was going to split up the crowd and have the ladies sing half and the men sing half. And then uh, Melissa Brady pointed out to me that I should not ask the ladies to sing perfect submission. So... So we're all going to do it. Perfect submission. Visions of rapture. This is just too, it's too good. Okay, ladies, this is not a personal attack. <laughs> this is where we all gotta be. If, if we really wanna be used by the Lord, we gotta be submitted. So it doesn't make a difference if you're a man or a woman in the room tonight. Don't get offended by this. I just want you to hear this sound. Just the ladies sing the first part and then we'll have the men do the second part by themselves. Ladies, perfect submission. Just the men watching and my story.
just a little taste of heaven and what it's going to be like when we get up there, but what it's like at New Hope, most Saturday Sabbaths when we worship, and a lot mm. of Adventist churches around Australia, although that, a lot of them have different styles, but that's certainly down the road that we worship in, and I love it. Mm, me too. Yeah. Um, I want to just close with a prayer. Yes. Father in heaven, thank you for being with us today. Bless each of our listeners, and may they have an experience with Jesus that's full of joy and peace. And blessed assurance of a future is my prayer in your name. Amen. Amen. Well, Hunty. Yep. Glad you joined us and glad our listeners were aboard today. listeners joined us. Uh, Come back next week, same time. Yes, please. 3.30 to 5.30 on Faith FM. Tuesday. Tuesday. My name's Lloyd Grolleman. I'm the Aussie pastor. And my name's Hunty and I'm the tech. And you know what? We love you. But not as much as God does, Hunty. That's right. Hmm. Indeed. See See you next time. Bye-bye. Thanks for joining the Aussie Pastor. If you enjoyed today's program and would like to find out more about Jesus, our ministry, or ways to support us, go to findjesus.tv.